Amen. Hey, good morning. I'm Cameron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. It is good to be back with you all. I was recently in Raleigh, North Carolina, serving the Raleigh Fellows. Unless you think it was all fun and games, I did have to watch the movie Divergent (laughs) with them and play a game that they made up themselves, uh, showing creativity. And if you know the movie Divergent at all, you'll, you'll, you'll just know what I'm about to say. I came very close to being Divergent myself. That shouldn't shock too many of you. But more importantly, I came out faction candor, real shocker. Uh, and there's evidence of this on Instagram at Raleigh Fellows. I am offering you my throat right now, as it turns out. Uh, I'm grateful for Robbie and his faithfulness. I do want you to know that that text was chosen two years ago to fall on that Sunday, so it wasn't to punish Robbie or put him in the dock, and I thought he did a beautiful job preaching the gospel from what is a very difficult text. And so I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for Dave and Amanda being able to give Josh a Sunday off to travel with his family. We have an abundance of riches in terms of these things, and so we need to give thanks to the Lord. Yes? Yeah. All right, that being said, if you would turn to Esther chapter 2, we'll be in verses 19 to 23 this morning. The story is going to slow down quite a bit uh, for a moment, and uh, this is interesting because it is probably some of the most important plot points being revealed in the most unimportant way possible just quotidian everyday things that actually turn out to be the most important thing in the world for the future of the people of God. And so uh, as you turn to that text, let me give you the key truth that I want us to walk away with this morning. It's that God calls us to be faithful as we watch and wait uh, and as he providentially works in our present circumstances. God calls us to be faithful as we watch and wait as he providentially works in our present circumstances. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Esther 2, 19 through 23. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we step into this text, I want to ask you, in what areas of your life is God calling you to watch and wait? In fact, if you think about a good portion of our lives, that's what we spend maybe even the majority of our time doing is watching and waiting. Whether it it is that you are single and you're watching and waiting for whom the Lord would bring you uh, as a spouse to be able to honor and glorify him. Some of you are looking to get pregnant, which is a time of watching, watching and waiting. Some of you are pregnant, which is a time of watching and waiting, isn't it? Some of you are living in an Airbnb, watching and waiting in hopes of having their home restored. Some of you are watching and waiting as far as school is concerned in a variety of ways, right? Some of us are watching and waiting because of health diagnoses. There's a lot of our lives we're watching and waiting. If you're a parent, 
Is it not one long systematic watching and waiting, it seems, at times? You, you meet one uh, uh, peak or valley, and then you have to watch and wait for what happens next. And so in many ways, this is probably where we spend the majority of our lives. And so the, the better question for watching and waiting is, what does it look like to do it faithfully? Right? Consider the call to worship this morning. Many of you, maybe the way it ended, were wondering, how do you say amen to that? Well, we know the rest of the story. They at the time didn't, right? They had to watch and wait to see what was going to happen. We have the benefit of knowing the fruit of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, the fruit of his resurrection so that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of his ascension that he intercedes for us, and the coming fruit of his eventual return for which we are watching and waiting. Peter tells us how to watch and wait. Paul tells us how to watch and wait in 1 Corinthians 15, which we'll read yet again as our benediction. And so this is a very important and instructive thing for us to cultivate the eyes to see and the ears to hear where the Lord is at work in the midst of our watching and waiting. And if you're like me, I hate waiting. I just do. I don't know where it comes from. I come by it honest. I've been that way my whole life. And I hate it in lots of ways. And as the great theologian Tom Petty once said, the waiting is the hardest part. And he was right, very simply, right? It just is. And so if, if the waiting is at times the hardest part, and that's where we spend the majority of our lives, we need to recognize that that is part of our sanctification. And how might that period not be wasted? I'm guilty of, while I'm waiting, just trying to push the hands of the clock to get to the thing that I'm waiting for. We don't want to be those kinds of people. I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to, to make use of all that the Lord has for me, and I hope and pray the same for you as well. So as we step into the text, let us see what the Lord has for us as we watch and wait. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, let me pause here. We don't know exactly how long it was from the first time they gathered, which Robbie preached on, to this second time. And we don't know why he's gathering them, but some have postulated that it was actually a number of years, which is interesting. And so, so, so there may be a number of years have passed here. We don't know for sure. It says that Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate. Now, he's not doing this as a vagrant. He is sitting in the king's gate because he's been invited to be part of the king's royal court. He has a particular function in sitting in the king's gate. He is a respected individual for his wisdom. And so we don't exactly know what his role is in the king's gate, but we know he was invited there by King Ahasuerus. And more importantly, he was placed there by whom? God Almighty because there's some stuff that he needs to overhear. And what's really interesting is he's not there for intrigue. We're going to find out that how he discovers the plot is that it comes to him, not that he goes looking for it. So he's not a spy. He's just uh, sitting in the king's gate. Now, remember that names are very important in the book of Esther. The name Mordecai more than likely is a riff on Mardukai. And if you paid attention to the first part of that. Marduk was a Babylonian god. And so there's a way in which they would have changed his name to be Mardukai, servant of Marduk. Now, this is really interesting that the Lord would allow, first of all, that, that that's what his name would be changed to. And second of all, that he would work through him in a very particular way to show that, no, he is not the servant of Marduk. He is the servant of Yahweh. And there is a tablet that was found from this time period where 
Mardukai is listed as having done something important for the king. We, don't, we can't go one-to-one here, but it's, it's, it's definitely got proximity. And so, as it goes on, it says, Esther had not made known her kindred to her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. Now, remember from last week, what, what Robbie taught us is that uh, uh, Mordecai is her uncle, and she more than likely was orphaned in the process of going into exile. That means her parents may have been killed as part of the carrying away. And she recognizes his wisdom that if Mordecai tells her something, she's going to listen, right? Because she's seen that his wisdom works. And remember last week he told her, don't tell yet who, who you are or whose people you're from. Now, we don't know why he did that. He may have had a suspicion that it would be a problem of some kind because anti-Semitism, as it turns out, has been part of the warp and woof of the entire history of the world. Why? Well, because they're God's people and Satan hates God's people. And he continues to work that out in and through local governances and ideas and theologians and all kinds of things. And so Mordecai recognized, hey, let's not reveal this just yet. And it shows that she had not. Now, interestingly, as you remember, her Hebrew name was Hadassah, which means myrtle. Uh, the, The Esther, which is the Uh, Persian equivalent may have been pointing to their female god of war and wrath, Ishtar, which is interesting because of the role that she's going to play later in the story. And so there is actually a a forward looking uh, to what her role may end up being. And so uh, it's interesting that they would call her the goddess of war and wrath. And so After this, it says, in those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now, were they going to get away with this? No, they were going to lose their lives. They were fools if they thought for one second that you could lay hands on the king and get away with it. They were fools to be talking about it in the king's gate, right? They're, They're foolish. We don't know why they're angry. But essentially, they are going to lose their lives for nothing, for foolishness. And so, uh, they are plotting to kill the king. If you remember, he's King Blockhead. And it goes on to say, and this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Lord in his providence made sure that Mordecai was able to overhear. This is a way in which we recognize that the providence of God works. So often, I remember as a parent that I would go looking for stuff that my kids were up to. And guess what you're going to do every riven time? You're going to find it. So if you want to play, this, you want to be the CIA or uh, the, the Mossad or however you want to work that out in your home, what you're going to do is actually train them how to throw you off, more than likely, as opposed to wisely recognizing, yes, you do have responsibility to know what's going on in your kids' lives, but they need to be trained and raised for freedom not for living under a deep state that monitors them all the time, right? And so it's, it's, there's some measure of wisdom to letting the Spirit bring things to you because if the Spirit brings it to you, what does that mean the Spirit has already done on the other side? Prepared the way for restoration, which is the purpose of parenting, is it not? It is always any discipline that you have, whether it's from one end of the spectrum to the other, it should always seek for restoration, and so here we see that, that Mordecai is not trying in some form or fashion to find out little uh, niblets of information. 
He is being faithful with the task that's been given to him in the royal court. And in that faithfulness, the Lord in his providence has brought some very important information to his ear. Now, what he does with it, he takes it, and this is the first time that she's referred to as queen, right? Which is interesting. He takes it immediately to Queen Esther, and Esther tells the king. Now, it's interesting. Esther could have kept this information for herself. She could have said, I'm the one who found it out and I should benefit from it. Notice that that's kind of how the empire works. It's every person for themselves. Everybody's a commodity. Everybody's trying to get theirs. Does that sound familiar at all? And so she doesn't do that. She makes it clear that no, it was Mordecai, which becomes a very important plot point to the story that she revealed who it was from. And it goes on that the, they, there was an investigation. Notice that the king doesn't immediately take her word for it. He launches an investigation and finds that what they're saying is in fact true and it costs both of these men their lives, which sets the stage for the risk that's being run in any way, shape, or form in trying to go against King Ahasuerus. And so this is then recorded in the Chronicles of the King, another very important plot point for later in the story, which is something that they would have done. Herodotus, as Robbie mentioned from last week, uh, if you've read Herodotus's The Histories, <clears throat> he talks a lot about Xerxes I in, in lots of different circumstances. And it's interesting to me that scholars use Herodotus in many respects as if it were a, a, a detailed account of what happened for sure. Well, Herodotus also, by the way, talks about ants the size of foxes that used to dig gold up in Egypt. I think that's wild. I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, I don't think there's any evidence of it. And he talks about some other things too that make you go, uh, I don't know. Uh, I should probably doubt a little of what Herodotus is saying as well. And not to mention, he seems to say things pre-internet that would just be very difficult for a man in his time to have access to as far as firsthand account information of of conversations, and so forth. So read Herodotus with the same hermeneutical suspicion that you would read Esther, recognizing that he's a man with feet of clay who had his own agenda as well, right? And so it wasn't that it was all just straightforward. There's propaganda to it as well. And there were things that he was not interested in covering. That's just a side note in case you read any of the, uh, of the commentaries. They're gonna, they're, they really get into that issue when it comes to Herodotus. And so this being recorded in the Chronicles of the King is going to show up later, right? Now, why is this an important sermon for us? Well, what is it that we're doing as a church? We're watching and waiting. Now, we had the the meeting a a week or two ago, two weeks ago, about talking about the building and land. And, And again, I want to remind you, the reason that we chose to have that conversation is with no live round uh, in front of us is so that we, would, we could make a wise decision or have a wise conversation without anxiety. How many of you have found anxiety to be really helpful for decision making? <laughs> right? Which is a lot of what watching and waiting stirs within us, does it not? Anxiety, despair, frustration, Right? And so we've been doing this for a long time. And I think Stephanie Knapper even voiced that for some who've been here for a long time, it's, it's, it's wearying. Yes, it is. To set up and tear down for those who've been doing that week in and week out for a number of years. Thank you for those of you who've joined to, to give us some fresh blood in that regard. But it never gets fun necessarily. 
And, and so we recognize, we've been watching and waiting for a long time, and we've had churches seemingly pass us on the superhighway of blessing and, and come up with buildings. And it causes us sometimes, if we're not careful, in watching and waiting to wonder, who's hiding something? Right? Why is, the Lord, why is the Lord not blessing us as he has blessed Marietta Community Church? Or why is he not blessing us in the way that he's blessed some of these other places like LifeBridge and some of these other things? Those aren't bad questions, by the way. They're not. They're worth asking of the Lord, right? I don't suspect that there's any. I don't know of anything because if there were, I'd dig it up and give it back. Uh, but, but we recognize that in watching and waiting, God is telling us our story, not their story. And it is not an evidence that he doesn't love us because do you know how many children have come to the Lord's table in the time we've been here that have walked that parquet floor <laughs> uh, to receive the good from the Lord's hand? Do you know how many folks have been baptized in and out of our children's ministry and out of the youth ministry? The Lord has blessed us abundantly. And amen. May we not ever look at those things and say, yeah, but it's not brick and mortar. That's more than permanent, you understand. That's eternal. And we want to be about that while we watch and wait. We want to be about that when we get brick and mortar, which, by the way, will cost us a whole lot more operationally, and that's important to note. The Lord has protected us and allowed us to do some ministry and be generous in some ways that's probably going to have to be rethought and changed should he put us in a permanent place, right? And so we are watching. We are waiting. Now, we will have a meeting just to follow up. For those of you who filled out the survey, thank you for doing that. Uh, we'll have a meeting sometime in the next few weeks to follow up with you about the results of that survey and some things that we're thinking about uh, and praying about. And so um, you'll hear more in the coming weeks, but we have a, a session meeting on the 20th. Be praying for us as we go over that information and think it through uh, and, and put it into some kind of form that, that's digestible to you all. Um, and so we are watching and waiting in so many respects. So what are we supposed to do while we watch and wait? Pray, what else? Worship, what else? Serve, what else? Love, what else? Read the word, meditate on the word. Be, be those who are being formed into the image of Christ regardless of the location because we do know based on how some of those brick-and-mortar places have become mausoleums, that there's a sense in which having a building doesn't make you more Christian. It can make you less if you're not careful because you come to be about that thing, right? So we recognize, hey, this is the situation we're in. We are watching and waiting. We will continue to be faithful to love our neighbors, to love God because we know how deeply we have been loved. We will continue to be faithful with whatever he gives into our hands financially. We'll be faithful and generous and we'll worship, right? And if this, this building somehow becomes suddenly unavailable to us, what will we do? Well, we'll see if he's got another one for us, right? And if he doesn't, what will we do? We'll pray, but we'll, we, we still got to worship. We'll, we'll go be Christians other places. We'll go bless other churches uh, with, with all that we have to offer, right? I don't, I don't hear me. That's not what I'm looking for, but we got to have that gear in us, don't we? Because whatever our God ordains is right. And he will keep us through it all. And the most important thing is to know that we are loved and loved by him, right? 
And so this mundane set of details in the book of Esther we're going to discover is actually some of the most important information in the entire book because it evidences that there's only one hand that could have brought it about. And that's God's sovereign hand. Listen to what David Firth says about this passage. He says, God continues to work in and through his people, often in ways we cannot immediately discern. Now, I'm going to pause here. One of the things I said to, and I've said to the, the, the fellows groups that I've been meeting with, and this phrase really captured their imaginations, and I hope it's helpful to you. One thing that we got to be really, really careful of is something called the unbearable weight of meaning-making. Because sometimes you can't know what something means until you've lived a few years and can look back on it and see what the Lord was doing. So if you're, you're saying that the immediate moment must always have some sort of affectation to you or cause certain affections from you or result in some journal entry, blog post, whatever it may be, well, most of our moments don't do that, which is why we live highly curated lives at times. And so I want us to better learn how the Lord might be at work in various circumstances that we get to bear witness in, not just in our own lives, but also in the lives of others. That's been one of the great gifts for me of doing some of these fellows things because I recognize I'm a comet passing through their lives. I may never see any of the people that I've spent time with again. Uh, and I, I know it sounds kind of dramatic, but it's just true, right? There was one girl that was wanting to invite me to her wedding, but... Her fiance wouldn't allow her to invite one more person. And so she was trying to figure out if I could do, be the photographer, or the DJ, or the bartender, but that, that was not going to work out. And so I recognize that I'm there not just to give them information, but also to bear witness to what the Lord is doing. And I will tell you, it has been a great gift to be around these folks and how they're thinking creatively about the kingdom and their vocation within it. And I'm not talking about ministry, like going into ministry. They're talking about going into engineering and lawyers and doctors and all these other things, opening their own businesses. And it gives me great hope for the future of the kingdom to witness what the Lord is doing in their midst. I'm there for but a moment and I'm gone. Their hospitality to me was unbelievable. For a group of college students, you got to think the creep factor for a 51-year-old guy that looks like me rolling in there is pretty high, right? Now, fortunately, I'm cuddly as a porcupine, so that helps out. Some of that, right? Uh, but but it's, it, it's beautiful to bear witness to. So while we watch and wait, let us be able to celebrate. If other churches get buildings while we don't, let's celebrate because that's for the kingdom. And the kingdom is bigger than us. If other churches are able to do things we can't do, okay, let's celebrate that it it's, can get done and God can be glorified and eternity can be affected, Right? We want to cultivate the ability to see in the most mundane of circumstances how the Lord is at work in it all, right? And then uh, Firth goes on to say, and that those ways may even for a period lead us to pass through experiences we would not otherwise choose. God does this all the time. There's, I, there's all kinds of circumstances I can look at and say, I would have never signed up for any of that. I would have never chosen for the story to go that way. And yet I can look back on it, right, from, from some distance and say, praise be to God that what he ordained was right. Even the suffering. He goes on to say, but, and this is vital, God's providential purposes are being worked out even if they can only be seen with hindsight. 
So my question to us is, where have you seen God's providence at work as you look back over times of watching and waiting? This is an excellent question for you on the Lord's Day Sabbath, this Lord's Day Sabbath, to take and answer among your family. Think about how your children need to hear. They need to be trained to see this because if, you're, if your complaint about them is they just don't, they ain't grateful for nothing. Well, no, they're not gonna be. You, that's something you have to train them up in. This is part of discipleship and sanctification. And how are they gonna know how to be grateful if they don't ever hear it from you? Where are they gonna get it from, the world? No. So this is a brilliant opportunity for you to help your kids understand your family's story and how it's bigger than just them and how the Lord, you are grateful for them because how the Lord has worked in and through them. Now, some, some circumstances are difficult at this time for some of you, and I understand that, but still practice this in some form or fashion with folks and ask the question, train your eyes to see by first looking back so that you can better look present and forward. And it's biblical for us to remember, is it not? It is. This is a practice we all ought to do. And then what impact did your remaining faithful, even though you didn't know what God was doing, have on the situation? Right? That's, that's really important that you, you stayed the course even though you didn't know what it was that God was up to and what he was doing. I didn't say perfect, by the way. You heard that, right? Faithful doesn't mean perfect. Faithful means clinging to the crucified. Faithful means which way you run. When you sin and you will, do you run back to the throne of grace to receive what you need in that time of trouble, both mercy and grace? This isn't about it being, again, beware the unbearable weight of meaning making. Nobody needs to write a book about how you waited. Nobody needs to make a film about it necessarily. But be faithful and bear the reward of having done that, Right? And, and be able to recognize that the Lord is at work in so many things, so many things. So Esther 2, 19 through 23 teaches us that God calls us to be faithful as we watch and wait as he providentially works in our present circumstances. So he's inviting us into the work that he's doing in our lives. He's asking us to participate in the writing of our stories for his glory. And this is really important, our joy which then translates for the life of the world, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are at work in the most minute, obscure details. Thank you that your word is so beautifully fashioned that even when it's reporting on something as simple as finding out a secret, the way you say it tells us something about you. Father, thank you that you you ordain, and what you ordain, it is right, even if we struggle to see it, even if we struggle under the weight of the burden of suffering or meaning-making or whatever it may be. Lord, help us grow in being faithful as we watch and wait. Help us in our individual circumstances as well as as we watch and wait as a church. Father, let us not forget the ministry, the faithfulness that is right in front of us, to be worked out week in and week out and then through Sunday schools and worship and discipleship and love and care for one another. God, help us to see that that matters eternally, that brick and mortar, it won't make it in the new heavens and new earth. It'll be purified and made into something better. But what we do in terms of sharing the gospel with one another, the discipleship that, that affects us, that the righteousness that, that we live out that displays your character in this world, that's what's gonna clothe the beauty of the bride. 
for which Christ died and rose again and is coming again. Father, help us. In Christ's name, amen.